So last week, if you were with us and if you were paying attention, last week we had our campus pastor come in, Pastor Josh, and talk about uh, relationships. He kicked off this, this series with uh, opening this idea about what healthy relationships should and really do look like when you develop a biblical worldview and look at them from the lens that God would also look at. Uh, relationships and what he kind of he's kind of like was anybody else there like feeling like Pastor Josh just ripped the scab off and just exposed it like you just felt all open you're like oh my he's hitting oh Lord Jeez. oh Lord like it just felt like it got raw it got real so quickly as a matter of fact 36 people gave their life to Jesus last week that was that was crazy the altar was flooded with, with so many people that were like, you know what, I got I to gotta make this decision to follow Jesus. Not only have I been dating wrong, but I've been living wrong, and I'm tired of living like this. I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And we actually got into contact with a lot of those, specifically 10 of those people that I have stories from, that God is not just doing something in their life on a Wednesday night, but he's actually moving in their life. And that was so exciting, and it was so raw, and it was so real, and, and, and we hurt, but it was in a good way. We were crying, but it was awesome, and the Lord just really moved on our heart. But I, I think as some of you guys kind of realized on Thursday morning that sometimes when you make a decision to follow Jesus or about Jesus on Wednesday night, Thursday morning, uh, it, it's still a little bit difficult. Like, like even though God showed up, he moved, and it was crazy. You felt like you could take on hell with a water gun. It was like, yeah, this is crazy. You wake up on Thursday morning like, okay, what's really changed have you ever been to church and then the next day felt pretty much the same? Like, nobody talks about that at church, right? Because at church, pastors are like, how many hands? You got saved. You got saved. You got saved. But nobody gives you a call on Thursday, right? Or, or if it's on Sunday. Nobody gives you a call on Monday, right? We just count salvations like this is awesome and everybody's so pumped. But, but the problem is so often we stop with a moment when it was always supposed to look like movement. And that's not just a one-liner. That's something that we say of you a lot, right? The experience with God is not just an encounter with Christ. It's a journey with the Lord that doesn't look like I'm really excited and pumped up for the Lord at 21. It looks like I am solid in my faith. I am growing at 21, 25. My kids are rooted in church. My kids believe in the Lord. I am witnessing. I'm bringing people to Jesus. I am pastoring. This is a process. When I'm 35, 45, 65, I'm still following Christ. Christ. My grandkids are, are living the legacy. Look, we're talking about more than just an encounter, right? And I think that when it comes to relationships, so often we make decisions that look like Jesus, but then we fail to make uh, the rest of our, our walk with whoever that may be in a relationship look like Jesus as well, right? The decision looked like Jesus, but my relationship, my relationship still looks like culture, and I believe that if we're ever going to get this right, we have to change that paradigm. T tonight, I, I, I kind of want to jump into a subject that's not often talked about, uh, at least not in relationship series enough that really I think. But I want to talk about baggage. I, I want to discuss the idea that in every relationship that we enter in, we bring in something, right? We bring in baggage and it's like, you know what, we all, baggage is kind of like, like something that we all just understand everybody has, right? Uh, I, I'm a guy, so maybe this is just me, uh, but I know this to be true with the relationships that I, that I had before my wife, but none of them matter, baby, wherever you are, they were nothing to me. 
Honestly, I can't even remember the names. And they, it was crazy. But guys, y'all know this is true. When it came to a relationship, like, like you would tell the girl that you're dating, you're like, listen, I have to, I need to, I better know about every ex you've ever had. But at the same time, don't tell me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like every dude is the same. It's like, yo, I want to know. But at the same, I bet, like, like, it's like, I need to know if I'm going to walk into Target and, like, bump elbows with, with my bro. And then, and then, like, my friend's like, yo, you know he used to date your girl. And you're like, what? I need to know. But at the same time, I really don't want to know. <laughs> Can anybody else relate? You know what I'm talking about. But it's, it's, to me, it's, it's sad that in culture right now that we just go ahead and assume that everybody we jump into a relationship has a past. Like, like when did that become the paradigm, right? That everybody that we know has a past and we might as well get on with the, with the age-old question that we ask, who have you been with? Isn't that a sad day when that's the first question? Like, culture says, look, look, you need to go ahead and get it out of the way, but, like, you're okay. Everybody has it. Let's just take it and move on. Let me tell you something that I genuinely believe. Before we start talking about the subject of baggage in its entirety, let me just go ahead and give you a little bit of biblical truth. Listen to me. If you're taking notes, write this down. God never intended you to have baggage. You're like, I was looking for something a little bit more profound. Can't even put that in quotation marks. Like, what are you doing faster? Let me say it again. God never intended you to have baggage. You and the person he's called you to marry, it was only supposed to be you guys. There was never supposed to be anybody else in there that you would have to sift through and pull out and deal with healing from and, and kind of go through. Like, God never intended that. And I know I'm stepping on some toes of some people that have a laundry list of ex-lovers. But let me just be real. And I'm sorry if this hurts your feeling. But, but God did not design a perfect, good-looking, beautiful plan and destiny for your relationship and for your life including all the detours and mistakes and side relationships that you have and decisions that you make that kind of take you off the path. Like God did not design the plan for your life with detours in mind. It was perfect. And it was beautiful. We're the ones that allow decisions to cause us to hurt and to bring baggage into the perfect beautiful will of God that he's designed for us. And if you're in this place and you haven't really messed up yet and you're still just kind of going through life and you see your friends having fun but you really haven't gotten off the track yet, let me go ahead and communicate this to you. Waiting on God is always better than wishing you had. Waiting on God is always better than wishing that you had. But tonight's about baggage. That was just a quick sidebar to the people that don't have it yet. If you don't have it, don't get it, right? But if you have it, let's talk about grace. Let's talk about grace. The guy that we're going to talk about tonight uh, is a guy who, uh, while he, uh, he 
wrote most of the New Testament. He's a major figure in the formation of the early church. He's a, 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 a scholar. He's a, an apostle. He's a disciple. He's somebody that early Christians looked at as much as current Christians looked at. It's the Apostle Paul. Like, if you don't know the Apostle Paul, it's no big deal. Uh, we'll just get you caught up real quick, okay? And the Apostle Paul was this awesome figure. He preached. He taught. He planted churches. But here's the other truth about the Apostle Paul. He had some baggage, like major baggage. Anybody grow up in a church? Can we just be honest? Anybody like grow up in like church life, like Sunday school, youth groups? You went to youth camp. You know what I'm saying? You got saved like four times on rededication night. Like, you know, like, you know, then you're going to understand when I, when I say this, you know, you know, like when you would, like it was time to give your testimony on the microphone. You had never really talked on the microphone, but they were like, hey, can you give your testimony? You start sharing your testimony. Uh, about like six years old, I, uh, <laughs> I was in Sunday school one day, and they started talking about Noah. And then we stopped talking about Noah, and then we went to the father, Abraham. And I was like, yo, I want to be a son. I want to be the minute son. I just gave my life to the Lord. And then by seven years old, I was baptized. By eight, I had a little rough patch with my friends in the sandbox. I had to rededicate my life. <laughs> but God is good <laughs> all the time. And here I am, still loving the Lord. But then like, everybody's like, yeah. And then the other person comes up, and they're like, yo, I was on crack, meth. <laughs> but God delivered me. Everybody's like, Yeah. And you're looking at yourself going like, man, I want a crackhead testimony. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you know that's true, though. Like, everybody wanted a crackhead testimony. But here's the truth. The Apostle Paul had a crackhead testimony. Like, like seriously. He had, like the Bible, he actually talks about this in the Bible. He says, I was the worst of the worst. As a matter of fact, there's times in the Bible where, where Paul, his name was, his previous name was Saul. Uh, he was he was a part of killing Christians. Like there was a story this one time with this guy named Stephen, where where Saul actually held the coats of the people that were stoning one of the most important figures in the early church to death. He held their coats and then gave them back. Like job well done, brothers. Let's go get the next one. So imagine Paul's surprise when the very people that he had set out in his life to kill, decides, when he decides to be a part of what they're doing, he kills Christians, then he decided I would even be killed for Christ. Like, it's, it's a major turnaround. So you have to assume that because of Paul's past, he brought a lot of baggage into this relationship with the Lord. And much like some of you whose baggage comes back to haunt you sometimes in your current relationships and in future relationships, you can imagine your baggage will eventually catch up with you then. Uh, Paul's baggage in this story in Acts actually ended up catching up with him. Let's look in Acts chapter 9, verse 26 through 28. There's this story about Paul. This is right when he had got converted and he starts preaching Jesus to some people. And the Bible says that so many people tried to kill him. There was plots to kill him. And his followers like let him down through this house in this basket and like were hiding him all these different places. Paul was like, like the, the ninja of the Christian world at the time. Like just like going through places, preaching Jesus. It was awesome. And then this happens. The Bible says in verse 26, it said, then when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So imagine... This guy named Saul 
has this crazy conversion because what happens if you've never read the story of Paul, he encounters Jesus on the road called Damascus. They call it the Damascus Road experience. He encounters Christ and in this beautiful, crazy, supernatural way is delivered and decides to live for Jesus. And then he starts preaching and preaching. So then he, he comes and, and he's like, you know, what? it's time for me to join my brothers. It's time for me to join the other people that believe just like I believe. So the Bible says he came to the Jerusalem, and then he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. So you're telling me that because of Paul's past, it made it impossible for him to walk into his future? What about you when it comes to your relationships? Have you ever felt like the mistakes that you made in past relationships are stopping you from walking into the future that God has for you? Have you ever felt like the decisions that you made with your previous boyfriend disqualify you from a beautiful, healthy, honest relationship with the Lord and with a man who loves God and loves you? You ever felt disqualified by your past? I'd imagine that's the exact same way Paul's feeling right now because he's saying, you know what? Like, but I, I think it's kind of funny. I shouldn't laugh at the Bible, but this part's funny. Like, like imagine Paul, they, they, them going like, yo, we know this guy. You're Saul, bro. You tried to kill us one time. He's like, no, 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 I'm Paul now. <laughs> like, put yourself in their shoes. Like, yo, you tried to kill us. He's like, right, but I just changed one letter in my name and everything's Gucci. And this is the part where most Christians are like, yeah, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says he's a new creation. Amen. Trouble is, Paul wrote that, and they didn't have that yet. You're like, like, you know, like, they're afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas, this is important, but Barnabas, in steps Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. This is crazy. In the Greek, Barnabas' name literally translates to son of encouragement. Somebody's future relationship needs to enter into Barnabas. Somebody to encourage you and go, you know what, I know what your past looks like, but I'm here to vouch for your future. See, the Bible says, in steps Barnabas, and he brought him to the disciples. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So if we look at this passage of scripture, we understand that Paul had a genuine encounter with Jesus. Much like last week, some of you guys had a genuine encounter with the Holy of Holies. There was something supernatural about what happened. But even though Paul had an encounter with Christ, he still needed somebody to intercede. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Because here's the truth. Last week, some of you guys that made decisions to follow Jesus, your spirit woke up, but you were still dealing with the scars that were on your soul. See, why Jesus made you a new creature and your spirit became alive, which happens when you are saved, when you accept Jesus into your heart, your spirit comes alive. But guess what? Your soul is still dealing with the consequences of your life of sin. But I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. It says that, but he was pierced. This is talking about Jesus. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us 
peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. So check this out. By his death we are saved. But by his wounds we're healed. Time out, time out. That's theology right there. Okay, explain that to me, Pastor Jared. So you're telling me that Jesus died for my spirit to wake up. But check this out. He went through the horrible suffering of the crucifixion so you wouldn't have to carry the weight of your mistakes. Because he knew that even if he woke your spirit up, if you still had to deal with the weight of your mistakes, you wouldn't make it. You couldn't handle it. You couldn't date right. It doesn't matter if your spirit woke up. Your soul is controlling you right now. There's no way with all the scars that you've put on it that you could get through a healthy relationship that's God-honoring. But the Bible says he didn't stop at a death. He went through a punishment. First John chapter 2, verse 3, says this. 1 through 3, I'm sorry. It says, my little children, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... Check this out. We have an advocate, somebody like Barnabas, to step in, right, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself, this is where it gets deep, is the propitiation for our sins. Say that three times fast, right? It's one of those big words, propitiation, for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Check that out, Calvinist, right? By this, we know that we've come to know him. And if we keep his commandments, check this out. That word propitiation, what that basically means is that Jesus satisfied God's desire for justice. In his kingdom, God wants things balanced. And we had a debt because of all the horrible things we've done and thought been a part of, but Jesus steps in as the propitiation, as the satisfying element to God who needs things to be right so that now instead of looking upon you and seeing all the people that you slept with, all the websites that you visit, all the times you were abused and broken, all the relationships that you stayed in when you knew you shouldn't have, instead of seeing all of your darkness, he just sees Jesus. So you're telling me that the Bible is explaining that when God looks upon me, he doesn't see my brokenness. He just sees my Savior. Here's the problem. While God looks on us and sees Jesus, most of us just look at ourselves and see our past. See, the the problem is so often We get entangled with the baggage of past relationships because we choose to. You ever you you ever remember like in in high school, especially this is I don't know why it was specifically my freshman year that this happened. You remember like when you would jump into high school and the, the freshmen that came in to incoming high school, like you remember how big their backpacks were the first day of school? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they were always in band, right? <laughs> like, they were always band kids, right? And they would, rock this, they would rock these backpacks, and it was always Jansport. Like, you knew you had a lot of stuff to carry if you had a Jansport. <laughs> and, like, like, from the front, they looked like normal freshmen, but from the side, they looked like a Ninja Turtle. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, like, for those of y'all who went 
to private school, y'all won't, this joke won't mean anything to you. But if you went to public school, there's nothing more annoying than trying to get through public school hallways with people with big backpacks. <laughs> like, you just want to be like, like. But why did they carry so much stuff? Like, we have lockers, you know, like, it's confusing. But, like, these freshmen had binders for all eight classes and the books in their backpacks. It got so bad at our school uh, in Texas that, like, actually, like, in homeroom, our homeroom teachers had to make an announcement because some people started to develop chronic back pain from holding these backpacks because they would walk like this. <laughs> they were carrying too much stuff in their backpack. When I think about, when, when, when I think about Christians that walk into relationship after relationship after relationship with baggage and more baggage and more baggage and more baggage. All I can see are these freshmen with these massive backpacks looking like Ninja Turtles. There's so many opportunities that you've had to unload this. But instead of taking stuff out, you just keep putting more stuff in. You come to church, you're delivered. Two months later, you're back in the same relationship you swore you'd never get into. You have, a, you have an encounter with Christ. Yeah, but he's so cute. And I just, like, I don't know if anybody else this good will date me again. I don't know. Like, does he believe in the Lord? Well, no, but, but he's at least open to my, what? Like, we're walking around with baggage we were never meant to carry. Galatians 5, verse 1. What a beautiful passage of scripture. It says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. That slavery that it's talking about. Don't, don't give back in. Because here's what happens. People receive the freedom in Christ and they, they say, yes, Jesus, thank you so much. I love you. And then they pick their chains right back up and keep walking. Aren't you sick and tired of being convicted by the same message every time we do a relationship series? Like, every time we talk about sex, are you, aren't you sick and tired of feeling that, like, just horrible feeling in your gut? Like, man, this hurts. And then you cry at the end of the message every time? Like, bro, every time. When is enough enough? When have you hurt enough? Like, aren't you tired of this being this beautiful recollection of what Christ has done for you, and then you still just slip up night after night on your phone. Like, are you not sick and tired of picking back up the yoke of slavery and putting it on your back? Because according to the word of God, we don't just have salvation in Christ. We've got freedom. Because according to the word of God, we don't just have this life with Jesus in the heavens one day when it comes, but we can see heaven come on earth by accepting the freedom that only comes in Christ. Come on, somebody. Listen, tonight, if your whole life's been about adding baggage, unload. Unload. If last week you got saved, but you're still walking with baggage, here's your opportunity. According to Galatians chapter 5, it is not for slavery that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. You can have freedom in this place that only happens supernaturally. You can have that freedom that you so desperately desire. You can have it. You don't have to cry 
on the same message. This could be your last time. We could just get it. Hey, look, look. We could just get it all out tonight. Yo, if it's okay with you, we're going to sing a song. We're going to have a prayer team up here that's going to pray in the spirit for your deliverance. This is the last time. This could be. This has the opportunity to be the last time you have to walk in here on, on a relationship series and feel the way that you do right now. This could be the beginning of God walking you towards a beautiful marriage where he can restore, replenish, rejuvenate, and bring life. But it starts with you repenting. See, I think the problem with modern Christianity is that we teach grace, but we don't really teach repentance. We teach mercy, but we don't teach brokenness. Tonight. If this message is hitting you in a way and you know that you're tired of dealing, you may even have given your life to Jesus last week, but you know there's just some stuff you got to get rid of. you got to clean your heart out. You need to repent of the decisions that you've made. You're, you're saved and God has, has turned your life around, but you still deal with the scars of your past. Tonight is the opportunity where we can break change and see God move. Tonight's your night. So if you feel comfortable, just stand up on your feet real quick. Every head bowed and every eye closed.